Grab your Royale with cheeses and your uh, Big Kahuna burgers, motherfuckers, because we're talking about Quentin Tarantino. I know some of you may think, isn't he that guy that says the F word and the N word a lot and there's a lot of blood? And yeah, that's Tarantino. Uh, we're there. We're going to talk about not one, not some, but all of his movies. We're going to break them down. We're going to rank them and uh, probably fight over it. So we're going to shoot Marvin in the face. We're going to stab you with adrenaline and get right into it. Episode 42 of the podcast. Cue the music. Welcome, everyone, to the Entertainment Buffet Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brandon Prosek. And I'm the other host, Jessica Quaz. Yeah, and uh, like we said in the cold open, we're here to talk about Quentin Tarantino. Or as some people like to say, a film uh, a, a film major's wet dream. Uh, <laughs> this, is a, this is a controversial director, writer-director, who is, it's one of those guys I feel like just that you either you love him or you don't get it. Would you agree? Absolutely. It's not that you don't hate him. It's just that you don't understand him. Yeah. Like, I personally love him. And I've talked to people who don't understand him, but everyone, I feel like most people appreciate him. Yeah. He, he has his own style. I mean, the, like a lot of people like say, like a Tarantino style. Uh, he's king of like homaging so many things in his movies and yeah they're quite violent they're all like very they have controversial aspects to them and they're it's just like when you see a tarantino movie it's just like unlike anything you've seen from other directors it's just like wow that was that and so uh we uh we're both fans, as just said, of Tarantino. I mean, I was even that film major when we had to pick a director to homage. I tried to homage Tarantino. Not I also worked <laughs> on a film that homaged Tarantino for that. Because you're right, he is film student's wet dream, even yeah. though he didn't go to film school, it's which like, is hilarious. It's him, Scorsese, uh, Wes Anderson, you know, so uh, Christopher Nolan, like all those directors that are just loved by film majors, but Tarantino's one of them. Um, so yeah, Jess, uh, well, how, do you want to explain kind of how we're, we're diving into the, he has nine films. Um, he has nine films, nine films that were released in theaters. And so we both love him so much that we thought it'd be fun to sort of see where our favorites rank. So we ranked each film, one through nine. And so we're just going to go through like each three at a time and just talk about it and see like where they fall, which I think will be really interesting because we both admire him so much, but we both have different perspectives as an audience member. So we're going to get into what we love mostly because there's very few things you don't love about a Tarantino movie, in my opinion. Um, so yeah, do you want to hear my nine, eight, and seven, my bottom three for his films? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll just add one more thing before we get right into it. Um, one thing that I find so interesting about Tarantino 
is that like some directors like they have like all right that's their best movie this is their best movie but like for Tarantino I feel like almost every single film in his filmography I've heard from like a different fan like that's their favorite so like it like sure like there's some that are usually always towards the top but like you know I've heard Inglorious Bastards is someone's favorite I've heard Django I've heard Kill Bill I've heard Pulp Fiction like I've heard all of them I feel like, except for, like, maybe one or two <laughs> that are, like, people's favorites. And I think that's such a cool thing is that each film kind of feels like a Tarantino film, but also different to where different people loved them for different reasons. Yeah, absolutely. Like, every film means something to somebody else, but they have that Tarantino stamp on it. So going through this list, it was actually very hard, and I actually really, really thought about it because... It's not that I dislike any of these movies. I don't, like, get angry watching them, or I don't hate any of them. I love them all. So it was almost trying to, like, what I would imagine picking your favorite child to be like, because you love pieces of all of it. Um, At least you're supposed to. Yeah, I also... You're supp- I mean, yeah, I don't know. Everyone has a favorite kid. Don't give me that. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah, so my bottom three... Even though they're bottom three on this list, there's still movies I, like, absolutely love. All right, so what is your number nine through seven? Okay, so I think you're going to be a little surprised by these three. So just hold your reactions until I'm done, okay? (laughs) So number nine for me, Hateful Eight. Number eight... I said, hold your reactions. <laughs> number eight, Death Proof. And number seven, Jackie Brown. Okay. All right. Um, so I, uh, I'll i say my nine through seven really quick. My number nine is Death Proof. <coughs> Where it belongs. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> Jackie Brown at number eight. And then my number seven is Kill Bill Volume 2. Wow, Kill Bill Volume 2 is low for you. Yes. So, um, there's two films that uh, we both agree on belong in the bottom few. Um, Death Proof and Jackie Brown. I think we should start with Death Proof because this is typically a film that anytime you see a Tarantino ranking, it's towards the bottom. And also, it's it's his shortest film. It, it was part of Grindhouse with Robert Rodriguez, so it's kind of, like, different than his other long features. So, uh, Death Proof. Uh, I just saw this last week, but let's, let's get into it. So, like you said, Death Proof was a part of the Grindhouse. And so, for me, in my opinion... Uh, Death Proof is not my least favorite movie of his, and I think I I say that because I saw it in the Grindhouse. Um, I actually went to the theater 10 years ago, because it's the 10th anniversary this year, Um, and it was one of those things, like, I grew up in a really small town in Indiana, but for some reason, Grindhouse was, like, super popular when it came out in my small town. Like, everyone (laughs) was talking about it, everyone was really into it, it was really weird, because, like, my town is very, like, middle America, they don't get into Tarantino movies, but they did. Um, So I went, like, with my friends, and we were, like, all into it, it was really weird, like, you started with, like, Planet Terror, and, like, this crazy, like, apocalyptic action film, and and then, like, the, the, in the middle part, the fake trailers that were hilarious. And then you got into Death Proof. So, like, 
I think the reason why I liked it more than others is because I came into it from the very beginning with this sort of jacked up energy from being in a movie theater and just being really into it. Um, so I feel like when you start Death Proof, because like I've seen it since and watching it just like in my living room, like on my TV, it's absolutely not the same film. It's just not. It's one of those films like it, if you see it in theaters, it's a completely different experience as opposed to when you see it at your house. Um, and even so, like in theaters by itself, it might not have had the same feeling for me. Um, but yeah, for me, it was just being a part of that experience, being into the grindhouse, watching it with people, and then like going to high school like the next day and like talking about how rad it was. Like, so for me, it was more of a, like a spectator thing that makes it why it's not in my very bottom. Interesting thoughts. Uh... Yeah, like I said, I just saw Death Proof last week. Um, it, it it was always a film that kind of eluded me. I kind of prided myself that I had seen like every one of Tarantino's films except that one, even ones that he had only written but he didn't direct. I just always knew it was regarded as his worst. And I had seen clips and I had seen parts, and I, I was like, I'll wait to fully judge it until I see it. Maybe it's there's something I'll notice because like. One thing I will have to say about Tarantino, and it's very weird, is a lot of the times the first time I see his film, it's not that I don't like them, but some of his early ones, uh, when I was first getting into him, I saw them and I'm like, okay. And then like I would watch them more and then like grow to love them more. I think it's because he's such a big name that like they kind of got like overhyped in a way. So I was able to watch them again and notice things I didn't notice before and appreciate little things. So I was hoping to have a similar thing with death proof, but yeah, this film, I, I get that it's supposed to be part of grindhouse, but it's still like its own film also. And I know it's kind of like part of it. The charm was, it's supposed to not really be that good. Like it's supposed to be like this weird B movie kind of, thing but like I guess what I didn't like is you go like half the movie getting to know like these three girl characters and then they just boom get killed and then you could have to get to know these new characters just for like this big car chase at the end and I was like what was the point of like the first half then like why did we spend so long with these girls and all these scenes with like feet and lap dances (laughs) and uh, just for them to literally, like, in five seconds get killed. Um, so, yeah, I I think also is because Tarantino's one of my top, like, two favorite writers, and I love his dialogue. I love his witty back-and-forths with people, and it just felt like... It felt like he just phoned it in for this one, and there were lines that were supposed to be kind of witty, but they weren't. So, yeah, it just, it fell flat for me. And I was really, like, I feel like I, like, that this was a film that, like, he was so jazzed about doing, like, this Grindhouse thing with Robert Rodriguez that he, like, was like, oh, shit, like, I gotta write a script. Like, I was so happy about directing one, I forgot I have to write the story. (laughs) Yeah, I think that it's definitely his... I don't want to say, like, weakest script, but his his most, like, off 
script, I think. And I think it's really apparent that, like, a lot of the time and energy was put into, like, the car chase scene, the action of it, rather than the story. That's what I think. So I, I don't disagree with you. Like, why is in your bottom? It's just, for me, like, I have a hard time putting it as my least favorite because of the nostalgia I have to it. And I think you're totally right, though. Like, as a film on its own... It it is not as good as his other work by far. Yeah. So uh, let's move on to the other film that we both agreed belongs towards the bottom, which is Jackie Brown. What is what what is your experience with Jackie Brown? <laughs> so I saw Jackie Brown. I probably like ten years ago. I was really into Tarantino in high school, so I saw a lot of these movies like for the first time a while back. Um, and like I didn't really think much of Jackie Brown. It just like I remembered I was interested in it, and I remember Pam Greer is kind of awesome, and like. Robert De Niro's in it, and so for this episode, I decided to rewatch it because I hadn't seen it in so long, and I was really disappointed rewatching it. Like, it's not that it's bad, it's not that it's boring, but the beginning is just very, very slow. It takes a very long time to actually get into the character of Jackie Brown and get to know who she is and like what she gets into. So for me, the beginning was was just. It was hard to hold my interest, and I feel like with other Tarantino movies, a lot of them right off the bat I'm interested in, but for this one, it took a while to like get back into it, so that's my, why, for me, it was so low. Not because it's a terrible movie, not because the elements overall aren't, aren't good, it was just the beginning. I... I it took a while. It was there were a lot of scenes, like you said, with like how he's very great with dialogue. He is, but there were a lot of scenes in this movie where it felt like the dialogue went on maybe too long. The conversations were a little too long, and they just kept going rather than focusing on moving the story along. Yeah. So that was sort of my issue with it. Yeah, I I've only seen this film once. Uh... I think I saw this back very beginning in college when I was getting into Tarantino and I think the problem with this film and I know it's it's kind of like different now because it's been out for like 20, 20 years but like this was his film following up Pulp Fiction and like I think that like he you know he was riding such a high with Reservoir Dogs like such a like a punch like here I am I'm a new young writer director like pay attention to me and then he made Pulp Fiction that was nominated for Best Picture and for uh, Academy Awards for acting and screenplay and all these things and then it was just yeah Jackie Brown like it was almost like he had this idea and no one was going to tell him no because he was on such a hot streak that I wish someone would have been like look Quentin, like, we see what you're doing, but, like, you can do better. You know, they just, like you said, that he had this incredible cast. He had Michael Keaton, Robert De Niro, Pam Greer, Robert Forrester, uh, Samuel L. Jackson, Chris Tucker for a minute. You know, like, he had all these talented people, but it just felt like they were so excited about being in a Tarantino movie that, like, no one really, like, looked at the script. And I don't know, maybe I'll watch it again and enjoy it more. But it just... It's not that it's a bad movie. It's just because the rest of his, like, filmography and his work is so good 
it just looks that much worse by comparison. Yeah, I think it falls flat and it is almost forgettable because, like you said, it came like right after the Pulp Fiction wave that he was riding high, and then the movie to follow Jackie Brown was Kill Bill, and that was a success. So, like, I think it kind of got lost in the shuffle. Yeah, it's not a bad movie, but it's just not his strongest work, and there's so much more that kind of blocks your memory of Jackie Brown almost. Um, Cause I, it wasn't that it was it was bad. It was pretty good, and it definitely has the Tarantino style to it. And there were elements that were really fun, and I, I just really liked the look of the whole film. But yeah, it's just it's not something like that. I think is especially memorable. I just don't. It's not compared to his other films. Yeah, so many of his films have a super memorable scene, super memorable quote, super memorable character, and then Jackie Brown is just there. <laughs> so. Um, as for our other films, we had a bit of a difference. Um, mine was Kill Bill Volume 2, and yours was Hateful Eight. But you put Hateful Eight last, so I, I think we should get into that first. Um, and I'll just I'll spoil real quick. My number six is Hateful Eight, so it's towards the bottom for me, too. Um, but you didn't like it as much as... Death Proof or Jackie Brown, so Hateful Eight, what what happened? Uh, I think I dislike Hateful Eight more than most people, <laughs> which is, <laughs> I will say, like, I, I understand that my opinion is not popular. Um, I don't know what it is about Hateful Eight. It has an amazing cast, it has great writing, great acting, but it was just... I don't... It didn't resonate with me like the other films did. For some reason, there for me, there was a disconnect to it. I don't know why. I was I was interested in watching it, and it's, you know, it's so... I think what might have done it for me, and this is shocking because I love horror and I love Tarantino, Hateful Eight was so gruesome. So, so gruesome. And I felt like at times the gruesomeness of it wasn't serving to the story like other Tarantino movies do. Like, it makes sense in the storyline for some movies. And for Hateful Eight, it didn't didn't feel that way. So it was very much pulling me out. And for some reason, when I think of Hateful Eight, I think of that more, like the violence, the gruesome, the bloodiness, more than, like, the acting and the scenes and, like, the, the intense drama going on. So, I don't know. I don't know why, for me, I don't like it as much. I don't. I haven't actually seen it since it's come out, which was already two years ago. So, maybe that would change if I were to rewatch it. But for me, like, going through the list, like, every every other movie had some sort of, like, favorable thing for me. Whether it was, like, Pam Greer being a badass in Jackie Brown or, like, uh, the car accident in, like, Death Proof. But, like, for me, it was just, like... What? I mean, Christoph Waltz is in Hateful Eight, but he's in other movies, too. I don't know. For me, it just doesn't It doesn't pack a punch like Christoph it does for Waltz most people. Christoph Waltz is in Hateful Eight. Oh, see? I don't care that much. I don't even know who's fucking in it. Are you thinking of, <laughs> you thinking of Tim Roth? <laughs> I don't know. I was thinking, I was thinking of Django, because there's... Yeah. He, what? I don't know. See, I don't even... <laughs> 
I didn't even. I was thinking of Kurt Russell because he has a fucking hat and he has a hat in Django. I guess I don't know. I don't know, but it's not a far cry to think Christoph Watts was in Hateful Eight. I mean, come on. Um. So yeah, I um. I'll, I guess what I'll say, uh, Hateful Eight. I, I, I was the same way. Like I wasn't a huge fan when I left the theater. Like there's certainly some things I enjoyed, but yeah, it just. I think for me personally, it was because I had become such a Tarantino fan. You know, his last film that came out, Django, was in 2012, and then this was three years until 2015 when Hateful Eight came out. The hype had been built, and, uh, you know, it was like an all-star cast, and I was just excited because I personally love stories that are dialogue and character-driven and that they're, they don't take place in that many locations, and I kept reading that pretty much the whole film takes place in this haberdashery, which haberdashery is just a fun word to say, and that it was just going to be like these juggernaut actors, like, and he kept saying that, yeah, it's kind of a mystery, and I'm like, ooh, like a mystery? Like Tarantino doing a mystery in a Western in a haberdashery? Like, these are some great combinations, and I think it just didn't live up to... I think I almost created a fictional... Like a fan fiction Tarantino Hateful Eight in my head. And then the real one didn't live up to that. And I do agree that some of the violence is not too much for me. It's just not the kind... Like I, It took me out of it, like you said. It, it, it took me out of the story and it, it made me not enjoy certain parts as much because it was just like really like you had to do that and um but still i still think people should watch it for the acting the writing you know like it, it is so still a good film i think it's just not i think it's towards the bottom just because i think he was getting a little bit too excited about shooting it on uh didn't he shoot it on 70 millimeter or yeah. Yeah. And I think, too, that there was sort of a buildup with it. If you were following his career, like, you knew that his script had leaked for it. Yeah. And so then Which he, he was like, super... refused to make it. Yeah. Like, he wasn't going to make it because of that. And then he decided, like, fuck it, I'll do it anyway. And so there was, like, also this, like, little bit of, like, history with it that we were all sort of following and watching unfold and so going into it with that you're right like as an audience member I think I had this like vision of what it was going to be in my mind and knowing like oh he did it anyway like he's just going to do it like it didn't live it up it was also during this time that he mentioned that he's considering like only doing which he can uh we kind of discussed this uh that he considers Kill Bill 1 film and uh, but like he said, he was only going to do ten films, and then he was going to retire um, from directing, and he was going to maybe go on to doing like books or miniseries or something like that. And so I think when he mentioned that, that everyone's like, "Whoa, if we only have this film and like two more, like shit, like he, we really got to pay attention." And so like that just built the hype even more. But. Um, so yeah, uh, my number seven, as I said before, was Kill Bill Volume Two. Um, I think you probably know why. Uh, it's a lot of people like yes, Kill Bill is meant to be seen as one film, but it was, it was released as two. And honestly, 
it felt like majority of the good stuff was used in Kill Bill Volume 1, especially, like, the incredible third-act action sequence, and Kill Bill Volume 2 felt very anticlimactic. It felt, uh, you know, there was still some great fight scenes, there was still some great acting by Uma Thurman and some of the supporting cast, but then, let's be honest, let's let's just get to it. The, the thing is called Kill Bill, and when we finally get to the end with Bill... It was just, like, the lamest death they could have done. And I know, like, there's probably some people like, oh, what, did you want a big battle? It's like, no, it's not that I wanted a big battle, but I just wanted more of a... Maybe it's the... I grew up playing video games where you have to work your way up to, like, the big boss, and you gotta you gotta climb the ladder to, like, this ultimate thing, and then... For me, if you really look at the films, he was, like, the easiest one to kill. <laughs> it was just that he had to get to... She had to get to him. So, I just want to start off by saying that I completely disagree with everything <laughs> you just said. <laughs> Not to make you feel bad, but I do. I just don't... I just don't... Uh. Um, and I would like to say for our listeners that I fought really hard to try to consider Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2 to be one project because that's how I see them so it was very hard to separate these two for the ranking and to hear you dislike it so much really hurts it hurts it sounds like I hate it I don't hate it I just compared to Kill Bill Volume 1 I it's just see I I had a hard time choosing between the two and here's why i think i uh, it's both are one overarching story but as a second movie as like a sequel i think it does hold well i think it does have some really amazing scenes like the scene where she's like buried underground and she's digging her way out and you're learning how she like while that's happening, you're learning how she became the killer she is. On top of that, the fight scene with Ellie Driver and her, like, that's such a good choreographed scene, and it ends up with, like, Ellie Driver, like, getting her eyes ripped out. And I actually, I do disagree with you on how she killed Bill. I think it's epic that she fucking rips his heart out, like, pretty much. Like, she fucks with his heart, because she did that throughout this whole series. She broke his heart, and now at the end, that's how she killed him, was breaking his heart. So, I I don't think that it was an anticlimactic death. I think it was kind of intimate for those two instead of like stabbing him or doing death by a sword it's actual death by her touch her contact um which i think is pretty epic i think not a lot of people could like actually just kill someone with their hands so (laughs) that's what i think but i i kind of see like why it might not necessarily pack a punch for you um but you know but that's the amazing thing about tarantino movies is like we all walk away with something different even though it's the same filmmaker like what you experience from kill bill 2 is is something very different for me but we both can say that we think it's a good movie overall yeah no definitely it's still it's still a great movie and and like most tarantino movies the more i watched it the more i grew to respect it but it's still just for me, like, when you look at it like they do, like they are, like, with them being split, like, it just, it feels, I almost, like, 
I know it sounds stupid, but like I almost wish it was the other way around where, you know, the first one was a little slower and then the second one would be bigger. I think it just didn't have... I, well, I guess I, th- this would involve me kind of getting into my thoughts on Kill Bill Volume 1 as well. So let's... Before we get into that, let's let's hear your uh, six through four. Sure. So my number six is Django Unchained. Whoa. I know. This is where it gets hard, though, because these are not... Because I, I love these movies so, so much. So, like, these the, like, top six are all movies I love so much, and it was really hard for me to, like, actually rank them. But, um... Okay, so number six is Django Unchained. Number five is Inglorious Bastards. And number four is Kill Bill Volume 2. Wow. What's yours? Kill Bill Volume <laughs> 2 is very high for you. I really like those movies. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mentioned my number six is Hateful Eight. My number five is Kill Bill Volume 1. Um, and my number four is Inglorious Bastards. So, uh, since we were talking about Kill Bill, let's get into Kill, uh, Kill Bill, um, well, you already kind of talked about your feelings on Kill Bill Volume 2, um, mine for Kill Bill Volume 1, I think it is, this is hard for me, because I think this is one of Tarantino's greatest directing accomplishments, but for me, his writing as far as, like, witty dialogue and, like, interesting story, like, it just, I felt like Kill Bill, it it was very just, like, it's a revenge story, and that's it. And, like, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that, but, like, it didn't have his classic quips or, uh, like, The Bride is one of his best characters, but, like, it felt, like, very just, I don't know. I wanted more of his amazing dialogue to go along with these great action sequences that he directed. And man, like, but then I remember the insane fight with the crazy 88 (laughs) and (laughs) it is just such a over the top, amazing ending. And like he, yeah, it's, it's still fantastic, but I just think compared to my number four through one, his writing, I think has just been better. Um, but like his direction for the Kill Bill movies is obviously, I think, some of his best work. I don't agree with you again. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't. Um, I don't think it's some of his his weaker writing when it comes to dialogue. I don't. I think that the dialogue in in both movies, honestly. Um, are just as fascinating as the fight scenes. I, I do. I think that there there's some really funny dialogue. There's some really intriguing conversations and some really, like, dark subjects, too, that's sort of being written in, like, a dark comedic way. Um, and so for me, the, the scenes where they are just talking are just as fascinating as the fight scenes. I will say, I, I do consider the first and second to be one entity, but... The one difference that the first movie had over the second 
was the Crazy 88 fight scene. And for that reason, the first one was ranked higher than the second because that fight scene is beautiful. The choreography of that is unreal. And just watching all of the movements, everything, every piece, every moment of that fight scene is absolutely unbelievable. It's it's so well done. Um, so I don't know. For, I think... I and I really I like the the other villains in it too. I you, you're right. It is just a revenge story, but it's a revenge story that's told in a non-linear uh, narrative. So you're sort of learning everything throughout the whole movie, and the the group of villains you have in it are incredible. Ellie Driver's so much fun. Bud Michael Madsen is ridiculous and trashy, and he's fun <laughs> too. And like. Lucy Liu's is so evil and amazing, and so are her henchwomen and henchmen. Like, so the the roadblocks of these villains are so unique too. They're so different in in who they are, um, but each one is sort of this this list you just gotta cross off and get to the next one. So I enjoy the journey of our protagonist, and I really do. I enjoy seeing her interact with like, these awful people and murdering them ultimately. Um, and seeking her revenge because she went through some awful shit. They were terrible. <laughs> they deserved <laughs> to die. Even Michael Madsen at one point is like, well, we kind of deserve it. So it makes sense. Um, so it is just a revenge story, but it's its own sort of beast of a revenge story. Okay. Yeah, no, I, like I said, it's, this is especially like in the top, like, half of his movies, like it's. I could probably another day move another one of these around, you know. I recently had watched both The Kill Bills and um, most of Tarantino's films again. But, like, yeah, The Kill Bills, like, they're... Like I, like I said, I really started to appreciate his direction with, like, the lighting and, like, how he would frame a lot of the fight sequences. He also was very good about allowing the action to happen, opposed to, like, nowadays where we see action fight sequences and there's a lot of quick cuts and you don't see anything. Like, it, you actually believed that, like, Uma Thurman was there and you it seemed real and it wasn't just like, oh, bing, bang, boom, and it happened. You know, it uh, you got to see it play out. And uh, he didn't pull any punches with the brutality. <laughs> a lot of blood splatter in that crazy, crazy 88 battle. Um, so, yeah, it's... Kill Bills, they're certainly... I understand why they're some of some people's favorites. I think it's just... That's where it comes down to personal, like, what you love about Tarantino. Like, do you love, you know, his usual, like, badass female characters? Or do you love his uh, brutality, do you love his witty dialogue, his direction? Like, this is where you kind of get to, like, your preference. And like I said, everyone has a different favorite. So, um, yeah. Uh, should we move on to Inglorious Bastards? Yeah, so, I'm sorry, was that number four for you, Inglorious Bastards? Yes. Okay, that was number five. So we're not super different from that. Um, I love Inglorious Bastards. I think it's amazing. I think the acting is unreal. I think the writing is great. I actually absolutely love this movie. Um, but for me, it's just like I have an attachment to the top four more. And I don't know why. Maybe it's because I um, saw those movies when I was younger. And so those movies were like always sort of in my 
inspiration uh, for a filmmaker? I don't know. I, so I think that might be why it was because um, Inglorious Bastards came out in 2009. I think I was like a junior then. So like I knew I was like wanted to be in film and what I wanted to sort of do. And, and Tarantino definitely had helped shape that at a very young age. So by then I was like already really into his earlier works. Um, and so when Inglorious Bastards came out, it was amazing. I loved it. Um, everything about it is just so great. But yeah, for me, it's just, it's, it's number five. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's Inglorious Bastards. I, and I'm probably going to bring this up for most of the next few I say in, like, I enjoyed it the first time I saw it, but I the more I watched it, the more I just grew to fucking love it. Um, like you said, the acting, you know, Brad Pitt, you know, I need 100 Nazi scalps, you know, like, it's just, like, that character. And Christoph Waltz, obviously, he gives an Oscar-winning performance. and uh, He captured our hearts as a menacing Nazi, and we love him for it. Yeah, and, like, it, and this was a film, like, if you really think about it, like, it really brought Christoph Waltz and, like, Michael Fassbender to, like, the forefront in, like, Hollywood, that all of a sudden, like, they're being cast in a bunch of stuff, and I think that was, like, thanks to Tarantino. Um, yeah. It, uh, Tarantino says it in the last line of dialogue, you know, this may just be my masterpiece, and a lot of people think it is, and, like, I... Like, the flaws, I think, that are there, I think are more so personal preference nitpicky stuff. Like, it's just so good. Like, the score is amazing. You know, dun, 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 dun. like, it, uh, the, the tense scenes where, like, you know, Tarantino loves to stretch the tension and really make you, like, on the edge of your seat before shit goes down. Um, I mean, he even had Mike Myers in this small role be good at acting for a second. <laughs> like, that's how good he is. And he even wanted Adam Sandler to play Donnie the Bear Jew. And I couldn't... I didn't know that. Yeah, really? that's who he wrote it for originally. But the, what? That's crazy. And, like, I could have seen even Sandler probably do it well because, like, the writing and the direction is so good. Um, yeah, it's... It's just a great movie, and, like, it's weird because, like, I have this weird thing, and I know it's terrible. I'm usually not a fan of movies that I have to read subtitles, um, but that's because I want to just be watching the actors and enjoying the dialogue opposed to reading them on a screen. Um, But, like, this is a good film that it's some English, some uh, some German, some French, you know, some... Italian, you know, <laughs> Buongiorno. Um, yeah, speaking about like all the the tension too in this movie, I l- love the bar scene, the bar shootout, yeah. and then like just everything about that sequence from the beginning, like knowing that they're going into this bar and what they're doing, and then watching the shootout unfold, and then right after that you have like Aldo like speaking out loud to them and like shouting at them from up top, and like the conversation is amazing, and then it just I, it just builds like the whole movie is constantly like sort of building to something really big, and then it hits it once it gets to that big moment of burning down the theater, and like they shoot feel Hitler it. in the face, and they just they fucking they, shoot Hitler in the face. And he just, it's so great. He just changes history. Um, 
that's what's so crazy. And, like, I know some people probably think it's ridiculous, but I thought that, like, that felt so original that he's just like, no, in my version of World War II, a lot of this was happening, but, like, this is how Hitler got killed, <laughs> was Operation Kino, you know? <laughs> Um, I love that, like, it's sort of the fictionalized version of what we all would like to do to a Nazi. Like, just fucking (laughs) murder them. They're awful. Like, he kind of took out this fantasy of, like, yeah, do you want to kill terrible Nazis? Let's let's do it. Like, and I'll show you in a film what that looks like. Um, So it's, like, this fun, like, fantastical, like, period in history that only happened in Tarantino's world. And it's just... So unique, and it's I I just love it. I love each piece of it. The very beginning, like the opening scene, there's so much in there that's happening, and then it just constantly keeps building into this story of just fucking killing Hitler. It's great. Yeah, it 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 really is. It's it like I haven't met that many people that did enjoy this movie, and I'll just say my one thing I wish was different. Um, and some people aren't a huge fan when I say this. Um, the Shoshana storyline, I wish, was, like, shortened a little. And I wanted to see more of the Bastards. Um, not that, like I said, not that I didn't want the Shoshana storyline to happen, but, like, I guess I felt, like, a little thrown off because it was called Inglorious Bastards. That, like, it really, if you watch it, like, there wasn't as many bastards, like, as I wanted. Because, like, I just fell in love with those characters. And I love the group dynamic. And I love the, you know, uh, that's Hugo Stiglitz. You know what he does? You know, this is the bear Jew. You heard of him? And, like, there's, like, this little almost, like, that these bastards are kind of known by, like, the German soldiers for all, like, their little stories and... Because back then it wasn't like, you know, wasn't like everything where you could just look up things on the internet or whatever. It was just uh, you heard stories and rumors and uh, like myths about different people. And I loved how Tarantino kind of played with that um, for those characters. But like I said, or just make the movie even longer and give me more bastards and leave all the Shoshana stuff. Like that's how much I like it is like <laughs> just and it's, totally. I could take more of it. Like absolutely. And Keep it's it already going. like a two and a half, probably what two and a half, like almost three hour movie. Like it's already long, but like it's it, already really long. Like, and I, I watched it <laughs> totally make it longer. I'll have more of it. Like it's still, it doesn't, it, for no time does it slow down. It doesn't feel like it's that long. Like, the ride just begins right from the start, and it lets you out at the end. It's great. So, okay, so for me, that's why I had put Django below it, because Bastards is just so great for me that I could not put Django above it. I don't know. It doesn't It doesn't have the, like, punch that Inglorious Bastards had for me. So, uh... I'm not sure if I should say because Django is obviously in my top three. Um, I don't know if you want to say your piece on Django and we'll come back to me. Um. I mean, I'm sure we can both agree that Django's amazing because <laughs> we have agreed like that every Tarantino movie is pretty much amazing. Django! Um, it's, it's so good. The soundtrack is super fun, um, but the... The story, obviously, it's so it it's sort of like you were saying. Kill Bill was a revenge story. Django's pretty much a revenge story too, um, 
And it's like also with Inglorious Bastards, how I was saying it's like the fictionalized version of what you would like to do to these heinous people. Django almost kind of gave us that, which was wouldn't you like to just fucking like take one of these slave owners and like actually like get your revenge on them? And so we got to see that play out, which I enjoyed. Um, and yeah, it is a violent and gruesome movie, but it, I felt like everything of that was within the story. It makes sense. Um, and, you know, as pretty much every movie we've listed, the acting is just unreal. That movie especially, I think as much as I love my top, I would have to say Django is some of the best acting, I think, of Tarantino. What he's brought out of actors in that movie is amazing. Um and just Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh my god, he's just watching him every time. I, I can't get over it. But yeah, for me, I had to put it at six. So do you want to hear my top three? Yes. Okay, so number three is Kill Bill Volume 1. Number two is Pulp Fiction. And number one is Reservoir Dogs. So my number three is Pulp Fiction. My number two is Django, and my number one is Reservoir Dogs. That's so amazing. Is that the only number we had the same movie for? I think so. I think our number ones are the only one that match. Isn't that so weird? (laughs) That is really weird. So, um, yeah, you had Django at six, and I had Django at number two. And I'll admit, like, Django kind of flip-flopped back and forth with number three, uh, Pulp Fiction. But, okay. So, Django, I'll just say my little bit. Um, I agree. I think this is some of the best acting that Tarantino has ever directed. I think uh, this is where, like, right after Inglorious Bastards, he's really starting to kind of expand. Like, you know, he did a World War II film, and then, like, this is him jumping into a Western. And um, opposed to, like, his earlier films, uh, like Jackie Brown, Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs, which were smaller, like, this is where he's really... uh, growing and doing grander things and Django for me um even though like you said it is a revenge story very similar to Kill Bill I just thought that so much of the writing was fantastic I thought like the writing was on par I thought the uh the, the there was some a lot of dark comedy which like he always implores dark comedy but, like, the whole bit with the KKK and they're arguing about, like, the, the hoods and, like, Jonah Hill has a cameo. Like that oh, my whole, goodness, yes. That whole scene. <laughs> you're like, wait, are we wearing the bags, you know, or not? I can't see in mine, you know, and it just makes them look like a bunch of buffoons. And I loved it. And um, going from, like, that moment to, like, just the brutal... You know, he takes a whip and he fucking whips, you know, whips a white man. And it's like, there you go, Jamie Foxx, whip that motherfucker. Um, But for me, and you touched on it, Leo DiCaprio's performance in this movie. This performance was so good, I literally got pissed at the Oscars that he wasn't even nominated for Best Supporting Actor. And coincidentally, who won that year was Christoph Waltz for Django Unchained. And, like, I'm not upset with that. I think Christoph Waltz is great. But I just... You look at Leo's performance, and it is just crazy. Because Leo always plays, like, 
the hero of the story. He plays Jack in Titanic, and he, you know, he's in Catch Me If You Can. Like he's like he's usually like these innocent characters, or he's these characters that they're the protagonist. But he is just the straight up villain that you feel no remorse for. He is ruthless. And, you know, even it even felt weird when he started saying the N-word. It's like, Leo, you're <laughs> saying the N-word. Um, but he just, like, he embodied that Calvin Candy role, and I just absolutely loved it. It was one of my favorite performances in, like, any of Tarantino's films. And, like, for that reason alone, I had to put it so much higher, but also just a lot of the dialogue. And I loved, I feel like he really was progressing like from film to film and like Django is one of his best films. And honestly, I think I also, it holds a special place in my heart because it was the first Tarantino film I saw on the big screen. Um, cause I saw Inglorious Bastards on DVD, like later the year, like it came out. Um, so none of his films I had seen on the big screen. This was the first new one I got to go see in the theater, and it was just so awesome to see that on the big screen. That was a fun one in theaters for sure. I think the just the look of it and the uh, revenge violence of it on a big screen was so great. Um, I think that you're right. Like Leonardo DiCaprio, he's I think he is one of the best performances Tarantino has ever directed, and just to know like the dedication he put into it like that I always think of that scene where he, he actually his cut his hand on set yes. yeah and like he's just going for it and he just like wipes his own blood on Kerry Washington like he just sticks with it and you see that you and it just paid off and having someone like a slave owner who you despise who you you write no remorse you want them to fucking suffer for what they've done to people played by like one of the most well-liked men in Hollywood was so interesting because you didn't like him and you didn't think of him as being Leonardo DiCaprio at all you just thought of him as a racist piece of shit like that was it he embodied that role so well and I was so upset he did not get an Oscar for that too yes Christoph Watts is amazing but like that is not even nominated not, not even, even nominated. Like, it's so crazy. But, and, like, The Revenant's good, but I don't think it's anything compared to Calvin Candy. No, like, when when we look at, you know, Leo's uh, career, like, 10, 20 years from now, like, I, like people are just going to be like, oh, yeah, The Revenant, he was great. You know, that got him his Oscar. But, like, I think people are going to fucking remember Calvin Candy, um, like, as a character. And, and like, in even another really underrated, he was so good that I think a lot of people forget he was so good. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson was great in that movie. Um, oh, yeah. He's he, so great. That's such a fun, like, weird, like, racist old black man, like, character. Yeah. That he oddly, like, makes funny. Like, you don't like him and you think he's awful, but you think he's hilarious at the same time. Yeah. Uh, definitely. What do you think, like, how different of a movie do you think it would have been if Will Smith actually ended up, like, following through with it? I always bring this up to people, and, like, Jamie Foxx, I think, did a fine job. I think he did a very one-note job in the movie. Like, he's always just pissed, and he's gonna shoot everyone. Um, 
But yeah, like, okay, and this this is actually something. This story, when I read about this, this is what made me kind of really get sick of Will Smith. Like, sure. Oh, me too. Same. I totally so, agree with you. A lot of people know that like Tarantino is one of the most respectable filmmakers slash like writers in Hollywood. And he literally wrote the Django role for Will Smith with Will Smith in mind. Like, and that's like such an honor and like such a respect thing that he's like, I think he would be amazing in this role. And and not even just like a side role, like Django. Uh, Django Unchained. And uh but then did you hear the reason why Will Smith turned it down? Yeah, it's really douchey. It's so fucking douchey because he pr- uh what? <laughs> no, no, go ahead. I I didn't know if you knew her. I read a quote that he was like it, it was like a really douchey quote. It was something like yeah, I read the script and I realized like I'm not the main character. Like the other dudes the main character. So I was like, "Nah, man." Like he what? said, yeah, he's he basically implied that Christoph Waltz's character was the lead and he's like, "No, he uh, Django wasn't the lead. He's the lead and I got to be the lead." Fuck you. <laughs> Are you kidding Straight me? Straight up. It's the title character first of all. It's literally the name of the movie and no, like, Christoph Watts' character is very much a partner. Like, he's in it a lot, for yeah. sure. But he's clearly not the main character. So, I don't I don't know. Like, after, after that, I was, like, over Will Smith. And then he kept doing really shitty work. And then he did Collateral Beauty. So, like, whatever, Will Smith. You're worth more money than I'll ever know. But I'm kind of over you. Um... So I don't know how much of an effect it would have had. It I don't I don't think much because I don't think Will Smith would have been like all that dedicated to the role if like that was his mindset was about like getting more screen time. Yeah. I don't know. I think Jamie Foxx is a you're right. He did sort of play it uh, in sort of a one track kind of way, but that almost made it a more interesting hero because you can sort of place yourself in him because he's not like. Jamie Foxx is so good in it, but he he does it in such a way that you're rooting for him. But you can almost put yourself in Django's shoes because he's not such a like a strong personality like Calvin Candy, like Christoph Watts, like yeah. you know the other characters in that world. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a controversial topic for me. Like I, it just. It makes me not a fan of Will Smith at all. It makes me wonder what would have been. And it also just, like, reminds me that Leo didn't get... he. That's the year he should have got his Oscar. Like, everyone said, like, Wolf of Wall Street or this. And I'm like, no, Django Unchained. He should have won Best Supporting Actor easy. But um, I digress. And uh, shall we get into the the only two films we haven't talked about yet? Yes, the OG films of the Tarantino filmography. Yeah, which you mentioned that your number three was Kill Bill Volume 1, but I think we've we've talked quite a bit about Kill Bill, and obviously, you know, you love it. I do. (laughs) I love it. Um, Yeah, but number two, Pulp Fiction, and number one, Reservoir Dogs. Um, I guess we we can get into Pulp Fiction first. I mean... I feel like there's so much to say about why I love it, though. I feel like I could talk about Pulp Fiction forever. Um, 
I, like, a lot of my favorite movies with Tarantino are because I have sort of, like, a personal tie to it. Like, I can remember, like, when I saw it for the first time, who I saw it with, like, what I left that movie thinking about. And, like, I remember seeing Pulp Fiction for the first time, and I was, like, I was, like, 13, and, like, my I was, like, sick, and my dad was, like, here, you're just sitting on the couch, watch this movie. I was probably way too young to be introduced <laughs> to Pulp Fiction, but whatever. Um, and I remember, like, being so young, and as soon as, like, the movie ended, I remember just realizing, like, that's what I want to do. Like, I want to create a story like that that's so unique and so different and so original and just, like, captivates you and takes you into a whole other world. And so... For me, Pulp Fiction was that movie that sort of put it all into place and and started it all, um, so to speak, besides Star Wars. Star Wars was, like, the very first, but whatever. Um, <laughs> and so I have, like, that, that sort of personal attachment to it. Um, but aside from that, as a film, obviously, it's incredible. It's so different. He, I feel like with Reservoir Dogs, he had, like you said, sort of proven himself with his very first movie and then Pulp Fiction was what cemented him as who he is. Yeah. Definitely, yeah, Pulp Fiction, I mean, I think so many people put this, like, easily at their number one and I I totally see the reason why. And uh, it, it was always in my top three, always in contention for one of the best um, because, I mean, he briefly brought... John Travolta back into prominence. Um, Bruce Willis, Uma Thurman, Samuel L. Jackson, Ving Rhames. Like, he just... He wrote all these characters that you were so good and you loved watching. And to me, I love the partnership of Jules and uh, Vincent. I, I, I love all those scenes. Like, sure, everyone says, oh, the Royal with cheese. Like, yeah, I love that dialogue, but, like, my favorite probably one of my top favorite scenes in all of Tarantino movies is where they accidentally shoot Marvin in the face. And they so nonchalantly just like, oh, you must have went over a bump or something, you know? And it's just... He literally murdered a human, blew his fucking brains out, and he's just like, oh, you know, you must have hit like a pothole. You know, like he's just making it seem... And that's why I love dark comedy. Um... Yeah, it just has so many moments, so many, like, iconic things. And, like, one one quick second. Like, talk about a year, 1994. They had Pulp Fiction, Forrest Gump, and Shawshank Redemption all come out in the same year. Oh, and Lion King. You know, like, all the same year. Like, what a year for movies. <laughs> really? Like, yeah. Those are all, like, really iconic movies in that year. I did not know those all came out at the same time. They, well, yeah, those three that I named, Shawshank, Forrest Gump, and this, were all nominated for Best Picture. And it's just crazy to think uh, about that. But, like, yeah. Like you said, I think Reservoir Dogs was such a great start for him but then Pulp Fiction was just like okay here's this and everyone's like whoa the non-linear storytelling even like Christopher Walken's one scene amazing (laughs) yeah every piece of it is so incredible and to sort of see it all connected too was really interesting in that non-linear storyline but I think out of all of these elements he definitely showed us what a unique voice he has and and how 
of what kind of storyteller he is as well. And that sort of impression that's on every Tarantino movie, like, I feel like Pulp Fiction is that whole movie. It's just him. I feel like it's his, his raw talent and his uniqueness that's sort of as a overarch throughout his whole career. In this movie, it's through and through. And it's it's just... I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it's just... It's sort of what, what, like I said, like what cemented him as him. And then from there, he did these movies that were almost like a, like another version of Pulp Fiction, in my opinion. Like Kill Bill is like a revenge story with Pulp Fiction tendencies. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I definitely think Pulp Fiction, whereas he just got to run loose. And there's really nothing I don't like about the movie. There's only like a couple parts that I... I kind of, like, I don't want to say I fast-forward through, but, like, they're just not my favorite. And, like, I just want to get to the parts that I enjoy more. Like, I think there's parts where it kind of slows down a little bit. Um, but, yeah, it's it's just iconic. And there's a reason why so many film majors, like, you know, get all hot and bothered about it because it's just so good. Um, and it's just unique. I think it's just different. Um, but yeah, does that mean we want to get to our number one, which I'm very surprised was your number one too. (laughs) I'm, I'm so happy though. And it's just so wild that after such a big career, this is our favorite of of his work. (laughs) And this was his very first one. Also, this movie is turned 25 this year. So it's just as, old as, uh, just as old as me. <laughs> exactly. We've we've had our whole lives with Reservoir Dogs around, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I I love this movie. I Through and through, I do. And, like, I just... I, I rewatch it pretty frequently, actually. Like, I just rewatched it, like, maybe... Like, a, I saw it a month ago. And it still captivates me. Like, each time I see it, it's like I've never seen it. I, I like... I, I know it, how it ends. I know exactly what ha- happens beat by beat. But in watching the films again, like, I I expect those beats to happen and I get just as pumped about it as the first time when I was trying to figure out what the fuck was going on. Like, now I, I find myself, like, getting ready for, like, oh, here's the, the ear-cutting scene. Shit, I'm so pumped. I'm so into this. <laughs> and just, I don't know what it is about, but I, I think... It's the way in which the story un- was unfolding, and it's such an intense moment in these guys' lives, and just watching everything just fall apart, like, absolutely go as awful as it possibly can, and how they're sort of trying to figure out what to do, like, so much tension, so much drama in these characters, and sort of getting to know them but also through the scope of this identity of them being robbers and, like, who they actually are. Um, the way it just unfolds is... It's so captivating. It draws you in and makes you want to see what's going on, how it's playing out, but then also wants to to find out, like, who they who they are. And it, it's all revealed in such a glorious way so that even... At the very end, you're just... Like, I always feel like when that movie ends, 
Like, I've just been, like, hit by a bus. Like, I'm just, like, (laughs) even after I've seen it for so long, like, I'm still just, like, oh, my God. How did the, how did he, like, map this? Oh, my God. What did I just watch? Like, (laughs) it just packs that punch every single time for me. Yeah. So, this film, not only my number one Tarantino movie, but uh, it's actually number ten on my top ten favorite films of all time and I could pop possibly even bump it higher but it's 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 so good and what's so funny is I'll admit the first time I watched Reservoir Dogs I was like eh <laughs> like it was I, I think it I, I I don't know if it was hype or what but it just was very I think I didn't like how he did a lot of very long takes that were just kind of like eh and I didn't re- like I think I just had to see it and then, like, I had to go back and actually just, like, view it again. And that's where I started realizing the fucking amazing one-liners. You know, are you going to bark all day, little doggy, or are you going to bite? Um, you shoot me in a dream, you better wake up and apologize. Like, so many lines that he just, like, writes into the script as if, like, ah, here's that. And it's just like, dude, that is an amazing fucking line. And like you said, like these characters and this journey they go on. And I'll admit, the first time I watched it, <laughs> I was pissed that they didn't show the goddamn diamond heist. Like, <laughs> like that's really, a, I love that the they first didn't time. Show it. The first time I, I saw it, I was like, how could you not show any of it? Not even like a part of it. I was pissed. But then I realized, like, oh well, no, it's because it's about the aftermath and a little bit about the the before. And it's very much like a play. Like, most of the film is in this warehouse. Characters come in and out. You learn the their backstory. Um, I love Tim Roth in that movie. I love Steve Buscemi, Michael Madsen, Harvey Keitel. Like, everyone is just on point. And, yeah, it's just such a... Like, a, just a punch in the face. Like, I remember he sold... Like, he... he Tarantino wrote this and True Mance, True Mance, this and True <laughs> Romance, like right at the same time, and he sold True Romance to be made, and I think he could have sold this one too, but he's like, no, like this one's for me, um, like this is gonna be the first one I make, and it was just yeah, like what a, what it shows you can do with such a small budget. Um, what you can do with minimal locations, what you can do with, you know, it's only like 90 minutes. Like it's a short movie. Um, yeah, it, it just still, every time I watch it, I notice little things that I didn't catch the other times. And I enjoy it just, um, like more and more every time I watch it. I feel like it is very much, written almost like a play where it is all sort of in one location and it's all about the characters and the dialogue but I feel like it is a play where it was the best night and the audience loved it and you had the (laughs) actors like best performances and it was captured on screen right because like it does feel like a play but like the the intensity of the acting and the like the beats is are just so perfect that it's it's all aligned so well and so I actually like the last time I watched it I remember thinking like that good this feels like a play this feels like I could easily see this on stage but it's 
it's shot and, and it was filmed and it was all done in such a way that like I can't imagine any other actor doing this. I don't want to see anyone else being these people. Everyone was just such a great fit. Um, I do have to say I have like a really really odd crush on Michael Madsen. I don't know <laughs> what it is. Like he's such a weird fucking like sometimes evil weirdo and I just find him so interesting like and in this movie he's a total babe like he is a babe when he's like dousing that guy in gasoline I was like oh my god Michael Madsen um and I do want to say like I gotta like I gotta humble brag here for a minute I have to um but Tarantino had worked on Reservoir Dogs and like started shopping it uh, at the Sundance Lab, and so this year, since it was twenty five years of this movie, they presented him with the Vanguard Award for for leadership, and so I was at the screening of it where they presented the award to him, um, and it was so rad because. He was so casual about it. He didn't make a big deal about getting this award. He's like, cool, y'all. Thanks for coming out tonight. And at one point, like, he... The night was about him. Like, it was about him getting this award. We are all watching the movie after he got the award. Like, it was about him getting this award. And he actually brought up Tim Roth and Michael Madsen and just, like, got on stage with them and just kind of, like, was dicking around with them. Like, they were just <laughs> like, yeah, we made a movie 25 years ago. This is great. <laughs> like, they didn't take it seriously at all. They were just like, yeah, cool, whatever. Um, and so that was kind of awesome, too, like, to see the three of them 25 years later just budding around, just, like, happy. They just, like, happy to be there, happy to all be together. Like, not pretentious, not, like, making it about, like, oh, look what we did, and you won't ever know what it's like to make a movie like this. Like, it was just very fun. And that was really cool to see, too, like, the way that Tarantino, like, collaborates with all these people and these these working relationships, like, stick around. Like, I think part of why we like him so much, too, is, like, he... Almost, his whole career has almost been like a master class on how to collaborate with people. Yeah, and one thing I, I can't believe I haven't brought it up already, but like that, that, op- that uh, not the opening, well, the opening scene, amazing, um, but the, the slow-mo with, in the tuxedos, um, like where the, the kind of like the opening credits, um, like that is just a classic in itself them like these these like handful of cool guys all in suits smoking cigarettes like walking down the street in slow motion like how many people like green little bag in the background like yeah yeah how many people haven't done an impression of that i'll admit (laughs) like i have uh if you any of you want to look up an old web series i did in college called madness uncorked we got in suits and sunglasses and walked down an alleyway trying to be all badass and did, like, our own little comedic version of Reservoir Dogs. And the best part about it, and I'll never forget it, was we were just, like I said, walking down the street in suits, and we had uh, a shout-out to Peter Racine. Like, he was filming it. And um, a dude walks by. We say, say like, hey, how's it going? And he goes... Reservoir Dogs. <laughs> We're like, yeah, no, that's amazing. Like he did, he just did he did a snap and like a and a finger like I got this, 
It's Reservoir Dogs. And we're like, yes, it is. He's just like, nice. <laughs> That's so great. It just speaks to, like, the power of that movie. There's some random dude who's like, I get the reference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's just so great. And, like, the the... The film nerd and the writing nerd in me is just like, I wonder what I'm going to write to be my Reservoir Dogs. You know, like, because, <laughs> like, that is such a powerful first film. Like, I think a lot of filmmakers have, like, good first films or good debuts, but, like, some people, I think, take a little longer before, like, they do, like, their big, like, oh, look at me. Um, but, like, Tarantino just <laughs> pulled no punches and said, like, I have a different thing to say. Um, I want to do something violent. I want to do something character-driven. And, yeah, they're going to have a part where one minute they're killing people and then a scene before they're discussing tipping waitresses. (laughs) It's, like, he kicked the door down of the industry, I feel like, with his first movie. And... I think ever since then, like, he's just, I mean, he's obviously been doing well, but I think that this was the one that, like, just obviously it started it all, but it it did so in such a unique way where his voice as an artist was so present. Like, from the very beginning, it had that, like, uniqueness to it, and it's just grown since then. Yes. So, um... Yeah, those are our Tarantino rankings. Uh, We had some similarities. You know, things were kind of in the same region, but not totally in sync except for our number ones, which is I did not see coming. I know. It's. I think it's really awesome. I, I think it's so cool that we had our number one be the same. This was really, really hard, though. Like, honestly, this was so <laughs> difficult to rank them. And, like, I still... Like, I changed it, like, right before we were recording, because I was like, ah, but I don't, uh, but that went, uh, it's like, it really is really difficult, because there's such an appreciation, such a like for all of them, so for me, it wasn't choosing, like, which ones do I like the least, it was like, which ones do I not think are as amazing as the other ones, (laughs) like, it was hard to, to rank them, it really was, it's, they're all just so unique, and they all bring something so different. Yes, they do. So, um, yeah. Like I said, that's that's our ranking. It was very difficult. I mean, like, I love doing top tens and top fives and whatnot, but, like, this is... I think this is a new thing we should try, is, like, pick these directors who have a, a, a reasonable filmography to watch. Like, we could never do a Steven Spielberg filmography ranking because he's done, like, fucking 100 movies. Um, but... Like someone like Tarantino, and just really rank the movies down because this was this was challenging, but I think it was fun, and um, so yeah, I think we should go out on our LO of the week. But in uh, in honor of Tarantino, we we should do our favorite LOL from a Tarantino movie because he loves to include dark comedy. So do you have your Tarantino LOL of the week? I do my. Tarantino-themed LOL of the week comes from Kill Bill Volume 1. Um, I still find the fight scene between the bride and Vivica Fox's character to be hysterical (laughs) when her daughter's school bus pulls up and right away, like, 
there's a shift in the fight. You can see the women like lock eyes and hesitate and like kind of look at each other like, what do we do? what do we do? And then her child actually comes in and they both at the same time decide like, let's put our knife down and act like everything's fine. But they're both like bleeding and they both like, there's glass broken all over the floor. And the moment she steps in, she's like, hi mom. Like they just both look at her and everything's fine. And I think the mix of like this awful, like brutal, like fight scene with this, like, innocent child coming in and both of these, like, badass killer women are like, okay, let's, there's a kid present. We need to put it together real quick. Just so funny how innocent it is, too. And I do, I do like that, like, no matter what, you gotta be cool around kids. Like, no corrupting kids in Tarantino's <laughs> world. <laughs> Innocence is not all lost here. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I, I think I... I was trying to think of a different one, but I think I have to go with the classic for my LOL of the week. We've we've brought it up before, but when they shoot Marvin in the face, like I have not laughed. Like I, it was because like I had no idea what to expect with Pulp Fiction uh, when I saw it the first time. Like I, I knew it was considered great, and I was enjoying it for the most part, but that moment where Jules and Vincent are just driving down the road and they're having their discussion about <laughs> about miracles and he John Travolta just so like like lackadaisical just puts the gun on the thing is like do you think God came down from heaven and boom <laughs> and and the fact that Tarantino as he always does over exaggerates the blood like it just splatters all over the back windshield and they like, sure, Samuel Jackson's like, whoa, what the fuck, man? But, like, it, it was almost like your reaction if, if someone spilled their beer. It's like, whoa, fuck, man, come on now. But, like, they murdered <laughs> someone. They literally, yeah. like I said earlier, they shot him in the head, and his brain is all over the back of the car. And they're just like, oh, you know, and, like, there's trying to, like, John Travolta's just kind of like wiping his eyes that are all full of blood and just like, oh man, like just pull the pull the car over to a safe place. He's like, he's like, safe place, man. We got fucking brain splatter like all over the goddamn car. Like, <laughs> just and it's almost like like a sketch in a way. Like it becomes this like that they got to get the car off the road and then they gotta they gotta clean it and like how they're gonna get rid of it. it just it it. It shows you how he can take a story, you think it's going one direction, and, like, you think, oh, like, maybe they'll get in a fight with some other hitman or something like that, or, like, shit will go down, that's intense. But no, they just fucking accidentally shot a dude in the face, and now they gotta clean it up. (laughs) That moment is hysterical, because, yeah, it's so nonchalant, but I also... Love the humor of the wolf, too. Like, them actually all cleaning it up is also, like, some... I think that's my favorite part of the whole movie is yeah. Harvey Keitel coming in and just, again, the whole thing is kind of being played out like an inconvenience when it's someone was murdered. Oh, yeah. Exactly. And it's... And then what's so funny is, like, this is... I think Tarantino's best um, acting in any of his movies because, like, he has some weird cameos but, like, him playing Jimmy. Um, and then, like, the whole plot of that th- that third section of the film 
is because his wife's coming home, because Bonnie's coming home, and she's like, yeah, we can't have a dead guy here. So it's like, does his wife not know that, like, Jimmy's obviously probably involved in this criminal underworld? But he's like, man, you know, like, my fucking coffee's good. I know. Shut the fuck up. Like, we got to get rid of this <laughs> this body. But again, like, the way he delivers it all is just like, you're right. Like, um, my wife's coming home. Like, can we speed this up? It's like all, like, so nonchalant throughout the whole thing. No one's freaking out. They're discussing just like, the oh, linens. Come on. Like, they're yeah. going to use the linens, like, to put, like, a quilt <laughs> or whatever, like, on the thing. And he's like, no, you know, like, my, my, my mother-in-law and father-in-law, like, got me this quilt. And, you know, it's just... <laughs> This guy, and like, <laughs> this guy was murdered. Poor Marvin. Oh, God. <laughs> Marvin had no idea that's how his day was going to end. <laughs> no. No. Or, but, um, yeah. So, uh, let's get to, to plug plugs. Jess, where can they find you on the internets? Well, I am on Twitter at Jess Quaz, and on Instagram, I am at Quasica. Yeah. Go follow her there um, on Twitter. I'm at the pros t h e p r o z e. Um, I guess if you want to follow me on Instagram too, um, yeah, follow Entertainment Buffet at Entertain Buffet on Twitter. You can all also find us on YouTube, EntertainmentBuffet.com, Facebook, all those stuff. Go all those things. Go, go watch, share, like, comment, subscribe. All the all the buttons you can click, <laughs> and also find us on iTunes. Uh, subscribe, leave a review, um, leave us a rating. We'll give you a shout out on the podcast. And uh, yeah, if you ever have ideas for episodes or you want to reach out to us about comments, you know, hey, let's hear your Tarantino film ranking. I would love to hear some more rankings. Um, email us entertainmentbuffet at gmail. And before we wrap up the podcast, I just wanted to give a special shout-out to a couple friends of the show. Please check out Movie Trailer Trash, hosted by Charlie and Bethany Duber. I was actually recently a guest on their podcast where we talked about the latest Last Jedi trailer. So go ahead and check that out. Um, They are on iTunes and Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all the social medias, Movie Trailer Trash Podcast or the MTT Podcast. And also, please check out the Shelved Podcast, hosted by Jeremy Meyer. He's also on iTunes and Facebook, Twitter as well. Uh, I've been a guest on his podcast in the past, and uh, I hope to return in the future. Very fun podcast that I li- uh, both these podcasts I listen to every week, guys. So please give them a listen. So, uh, yeah, any uh, anything else for the listeners, Jess? I hope you're all having a lovely time (laughs) wherever you're at listening to this. And I hope that you're not an avid Tarantino fan and you love Hateful Eight and you now think I'm a piece of shit for putting it at the very bottom. (laughs) That's all. That's all. I hope you still like me after this episode. That's all. Um, Yeah. (laughs) All right. Um... (laughs) What a great ending. Yeah, this may just be our masterpiece. <laughs> 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 <laughs>